going to get into our message this morning, the way of Jesus. Uh, this is part four. Uh, we started off talking about the humility of Jesus. We talked about the compassion of Jesus. Uh, last week, uh, Fabian uh, shared with us as, as a guest missionary, and uh, he certainly spoke a message that ties right in with the way of Jesus. And again, the, the, the focus was we have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That was the entire thrust of the messages. We got, we've got to be people that are filled with the Holy Spirit to do what God is uh, wanting to do, what he's called us to do. So today, part four is really going to springboard off of that. That's really the, the underlying assumption that, that we're going to stand on here today as we look at part four. Part four, the way of Jesus, we're going to be looking at the ministry and the mission of Jesus. And so when we talk about the ministry and the mission of Jesus, we look to the gospels and we see that Jesus lived very, very intentionally. You know, and not only did he live intentionally because of who he is as the, the, the second member of the Trinity, the eternally existing son of God, but he also lived intentionally to show us a model of how we're to live our lives. You know, it's really interesting. There are so many opportunities and things that come his way in the Gospels, and we'll see him frequently uh, say, well, well, I'm not called to do that, and, and now's not the time for that, and uh, that, that's not what I'm about here. He's constantly focused on what he's supposed to be doing. And another thing that's incredible when we look at the earthly ministry of Jesus, uh, the, the Word teaches us that on the earth, he didn't do things in his power as the second member of the Trinity. Amen? It says that he emptied himself, and he, he would say things like, I only do what I see the Father, you, you know, what I hear the Father telling me, what I see the Father doing. And he gave us again this picture of how we're to walk this out. But now with him, uh, his death, burial, and resurrection, with him as Lord of our lives and with, with uh, Holy Spirit in our hearts, we go in the name of Jesus. When we look at the ministry and mission of Jesus being intentional, we don't have to look far. I, I want to look at three verses that really kind of capture uh, the, the picture of, of the mission statement of Jesus. Uh, Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. John 10.10, 10, on the second part of the verse, it says, Jesus says, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. And then 1 John 3, 8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. To, so to seek and save the lost, that we would have life and life to the fullest, and to destroy the works of the devil. That's the mission, it's the ministry of Jesus. Amen. Now, we're told in the Word of God that we are not only Christ followers, not only disciples, not only children of God, but we're told in the word of God that we are the body of Christ, that he is the head and that we are his body. And, and so to get a vision for the ministry and the mission of Jesus, the first thing we need to understand is his mission is our mission because we're his body. There's no disconnecting from that. His mission is ours. And so let's, let's spend a few minutes talking about how do we keep cultivated a vision for the, the way of Jesus, for the ministry and the mission of Jesus. Because how many know when we have a vision for something, we can endure persecution? 
We can have patience. We can have long-suffering. We'll pay prices. We'll do the hard thing. Whatever it is, we'll keep going when we have a vision for what we're doing. Right? The word tells us so plainly. We, we, we refer to this often. When we lose vision, we perish. When we cast off vision, uh, we, we cast off restraint. So what will restrain us to live to where we keep the main thing, the main thing? Just like Jesus lived keeping the main thing, the main thing. So here's a couple things about keeping vision for the ministry and mission of Jesus. Because we are his body. Amen? Amen. Number one, we are to continue the mission of Jesus. So 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 20, all this from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the measure of, the, the measure, the message of reconciliation. Listen, church. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. That is your career. Glory to God. Somebody in this room just got a major career bump this morning. I don't know what you walked in as, but you're walking out. I am an ambassador for the king of all kings. I'm an ambassador for the greatest kingdom that ever existed. Hallelujah. Just keep yourself humble, all right? I mean, that's big shot stuff. Ambassador for the king of all kings. Glory to God. We want to keep humble hearts in that, but wow, God has handed that off to us. So he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, then be reconciled to God. So wow, we're the body of Christ. We are to continue the ministry and the mission of Jesus. And we have been first and foremost called to be ambassadors on behalf of Jesus. You know, every one of us has an important part to play in that. I just want everybody in this room to hear me. I pray that you'd be encouraged. Anybody who, who is doubting your worth or your significance... Every single one of us is important for the fulfillment of the mission and the ministry of Jesus. Is the first thing he's called us to. And, and I heard a, a, a sweet story. There was a, an orchestra conductor, the master conductor. He was really well known. And he had come to town for a special performance. And as they practiced, the piccolo player, so how many know the piccolo instrument, right? Just a kind of a tiny little instrument, right? Uh, you, you know, uh, the, the piccolo player was playing and he kind of grew tired and he said to himself, you know, my part is so small, no one will miss it if I just rest for a few minutes. And so he stopped playing. But after just a few seconds, the master conductor stopped the rehearsal and asked, where's the piccolo? You see, the trained ear of the master had missed even the smallest part. And so in this great, great orchestration of the Great Commission, the evangelization, the sharing of the gospel with the world, the master notices when that one part is missing. Why? Because without it, it's not the full picture of what it could be. 
Amen? So you matter. You're important to the Lord. And of course, we know in Mark 16, verse 15, he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. So literally, you know, this brings us to our our next point here. Uh, If you're following in the notes number two, it's not right to keep the message of Christ to yourself. You ever ever hear uh, us talk about our prayer lives? And, you know, I I heard the old preacher say one time, we have to move beyond bless us for and no more. Amen. You know, around the dinner table. You know, that we want to have a heart for others. We need to see the world around us. And this message that, that our sins are forgiven, that God loves us, that we are reconciled back to him, that we don't have to pay the penalty of sin, that we can live forever with him. This message, it's not right for us to keep it to ourselves. And we read in the Old Testament in 2 Kings uh, chapter 6 into 7, Israel is in the middle of a famine and there's, they're surrounded by the uh, Arameans and, and uh, you know, in those days of warfare, they, they would lay siege on cities and food would run out. And that's just what was happening here. And it was, it was so dire, it was so ugly uh, that, that people were, were so hungry, they were starting to go mad and, and they were resorting to cannibalism. And there were four lepers who were dying of hunger and they decided, let's, let's risk going into the enemy's camp and try to get some food. And me, in the meantime, they didn't know this, but the Lord was bringing deliverance to Israel, and he caused the enemy to hear what sounded like chariots and a great army. And so a whole panic erupts uh, among these enemies, and they just flee right out of their camp, leaving everything behind, food, money, provisions, clothes, I mean, everything. They just just flee out of the camp. And so these four hungry, starved, half-to-death lepers go into this camp, and their first reaction is, we have hit the jackpot. You know, you could you almost see them like kind of jumping and skipping through, throwing money in the air and, you know, all this stuff. But it says in chapter 7, verse 9, then they said to each other, what we're doing is not right. This is a day of good news, and we're keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let's go at once and report this to the royal palace. So they knew literally it was a crime to keep it to themselves. Church, it's interesting, they're they're now starting to, the research is coming out on uh, how banged up people are as a result of this last couple of years in particular with lockdown and everything else. We, we, we didn't need to see anything in print to figure that out, right? We know, you know, we, we've experienced it ourselves. We've been going through things ourselves. We get it. My point is this, the fields are white unto harvest. People are more broken than ever before. This is a time to, to re-enlist to say, God, I will be your hands, your feet, your voice, your heart to the world around me. That there is, there is an opportunity that is right before us. So we have good news to share. And Romans 1.16 tells us, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. So it's good news that we need to share with others. And, you know, when we, when we keep this vision stirring, we will be willing to pay some prices. You know, and I heard a, a, a very heartwarming story stirred up my heart. A woman in Korea was so eager to learn about Christ that she walked several miles to a Christian rally in a nearby town. 
And that night after hearing the message of the gospel, she gave her life to Jesus. And she walked home from that after, you know, walking several miles to get there. And, and she shared with her husband how she had uh, given her life to Christ. And after hearing her story, he was eager to go to the meeting the following night. The only problem is uh, he had been crippled for a couple of years. And so they were trying to look for a ride to get him uh, to, to the meeting, and they couldn't find a ride. And so the woman carried her husband on her back for several miles to church so he could hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the pastor gave the call for folks to respond and make Jesus Lord of their life, she carried her husband to the altar and he received Christ as Lord. It gets better than that. Then for the next year, she carried him from village to village in their, uh, in their region to tell them about what Jesus had done for them. And over that next year, they testified that they led over 200 people to meet Jesus because they were willing to go, to carry. Amen. Amen. So, so we, we, you know, keeping it to ourselves is wrong. We are called uh, to continue. We are the body of Christ. Uh, number three, let's remember heaven is counting on us. Heaven is counting on you. And when we remember that life and death are in the balance, let's remember just one more time, what's the one thing we won't do in heaven that we can do here? Lead somebody to Christ, right? As nobody is going to be in heaven that hasn't already met Christ. And again, when we talk about priorities here on, on earth, what's the only thing that's following us to heaven? The people that we've sown into, that we have led to meet Christ. And I tell you, more and more, as, I, as, as people I love are promoted to glory, go home to be with the Lord, I realize that they've gone to a place that at God's time and God's given point, that's a place that I'll go to. And I, and I realize I will see them again. And they're receiving their reward. And I better take a look in the mirror and making sure I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing for right now. And I think about that. And I think about that great cloud of witness in Hebrews 12:1. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Do you ever do this? I, I picture them in the grandstands, you know, kind of over the balcony of heaven. I might be way off on what that looks like and how all that physics and the true nature of all that, but that's just a picture I get in my head that they're looking over the balcony, you know, there's Abraham, you know, th there's Paul, right, you know, cheering us on. Hey, I, I, I know my, my dad is there saying, do it, get it done, man, you know. My brother is there. Guess what, church? Pastor Walt is there saying, go, grace and peace, go. Keep walking it out until there's no more breath in your lungs. Amen. Amen. What a, what a beautiful picture. They're cheering us on, and we're going to see them again. Amen. And, and I, don't, I don't want it to be premature. <laughs> I don't want it to be ahead of having walked out, you know, everything that God has called me to walk out. It says in Luke 15, 3 to 7, then Jesus told them, this parable, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. 
Well, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Just to remind us here, heaven is counting on us, and every time somebody is reached for Christ, heaven is erupting in praise. I, I still can't get over how awesome that is. All right, quickly, let me, let me share some things now. So how do we embrace, so, so stirring a vision so that we keep the main thing, the main thing. His mission is our mission. How do we embrace it, start to work out this mission in our lives? Well, there's a couple of really key things. Number one, and again, this is in your notes if you're following in, filling in, it flows out of our personal relationship and encounter with the Lord. Now, I know for most of us, we'd say, all right, I, I understand that. But we really, really want to make sure that if we're going to say here today, Lord, sign me up again, I want to be your hands, your feet, your heart, your voice to the world around me, we need to recognize that the Lord just simply wants it to pour out of our relationship with him. That means that we take a step back from that commission and we make sure that our walk with God is what it's supposed to be. You know, that we prioritize that relationship. You know, that we really keep it to where our heart is staying fixed first on him, loving him first, loving him supremely, loving him with all of our hearts. And so, you know, when we look at this, if, if the Great Commission, if sharing our faith is supposed to pour out of our relationship with him, it does us good to ask the question, have I let my relationship with him impact every area of my life? The way I think, the way I talk, the way I respond, the way I act. Because here it is, the degree of light that we shine for the Lord relates to the degree that Christ currently has a hold of our life and our heart. Amen? Amen. 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 Second thing on embracing the mission, <clears throat> it requires that we value and pursue people. You know, so we have to value people, we have to pursue people, and, and one of the master strategies of the enemy over this last couple of years has been to work at sowing discord and strife and bitterness one toward another. And you know, the beautiful thing is I'm, I'm, seeing, I'm seeing God break that down, I'm seeing God heal and work and, and do wonderful things in people's lives, but you want to know what? Our world is filled with so much mess. I know that's a big surprise, right? You didn't know that, that our world is filled with so much mess. My point is... We're going to have so many opportunities every day to, to get more attention focused at anger at people than have our focus on remembering the Lord has called us to value and pursue people. I don't, I don't know how it is for you, but what helps me get my eyes off of my frustrations that, that I can in my flesh aim at people is... Uh, Oh my goodness, my thought just went in and went out. Oh yes, thank you, Lord. Uh, we wrestle not, Pastor Ralph got up in his awesomeness, I just stared at him and all my thoughts went, went out of my head. I, I like, it's a nice sweater, yeah. Uh, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And so I, when I watch somebody that's not behaving in a way that is easy to love, easy to forgive, I can remember that's not what I'm wrestling against. I'm called to love that person. And I have to feel love. I have to choose love. Amen? 
that could set us free right there, right? Especially if they're not acting loving or lovely. Uh, so it's important for us to realize that we have to value and pursue people. Uh, there was a Christian lady who worked in a factory, and she was very upset for having to be around lost people so much. And she went to her pastor, and she said, you wouldn't believe the kind of people I've got to be around. And she, you know, just, just began to vent. You know, they're always talking about filthy movies. They're always swearing the garbage they watch on TV. And, and the, so the pastor said, well, where do you place lights? And she was so busy talking, she didn't even hear him. And she went on to complain about, you know, the, the, the places they go and the things they do. And then they come back and they talk about it and everything. And uh, uh, as she continued to talk, he said, well, where do you place lights? And his question seemed to go unnoticed until, be, until she became irritated. And she said, I don't know where you place lights. In dark places, I guess. And then she stopped. Said, oh, wait a minute. And she said, okay, I'm going to reapproach this with a different attitude. This is a real testimony. She went back and led nine of her coworkers to Christ. Just by, just by uh, a, a shift in, in, in how... Now, uh, that, that's, that's an awesome story. Sometimes, you know, the, I, I have had conversations with some of us in, in this congregation, you know, where that's not been the fruit. But what we're going to get to here is, but we were light. We were light in those places until God called us out of those places. I have a similar testimony to this lady working in a restaurant, knowing I'm called into ministry. And in this particular restaurant, man, I tell you, you found everything under the sun. Anything called sin in the Bible, I, I, I could give you orientation of that's going on there, that's going on there, that's going on there, that's going on there. And I remember just kind of having a little bit of a, you know, I can't wait until I can do ministry kind of an attitude. And, and my mom, uh, she actually worked in the mall there. She came in for lunch and, uh, you know, I, I self-righteously vented to her. You know, at one point, she, she just said during the lunch, gee, I, I wonder if God wants this to be ministry for you now, you know, <laughs> in that annoying way that, you know, our parents can speak wisdom and truth when we just don't want to hear it right at the time, you know. I was like, here's your check. I'll take it when you're ready, you know. But it turned out to be she was so right. I, it, my mindset was wrong. So, hey, changing the mindset might not change uh, the perceived fruit but it will cause us to live on mission in whatever dark place that God has called us into. Can you say amen? All right. Hey, we're starting to run out of time, so I have all of my scriptures listed down here. For the remaining time, uh, I just want to run through. I want to, for lack of a better way to put it, I want to demystify sharing our faith demystify evangelism, however you want to put it, the Great Commission, sharing the gospel, evangel I just want to take out of it the whole, uh, you know, um, mysteriousness of it. And let me start off with, we want to always be led by God's Spirit in what we do, but I will encourage you this, that when God is working through you, if He's moving counter to your personality, it's going to happen easy. Can you say amen? amen? If you're an extrovert and he's telling you to be quiet, you say, that's impossible for me. No, not when, when, God, when God anoints you for it, you're going to say, wow, there was grace for that. You know, others that might say, well, I'm introverted. I'm, I'm not about speaking or confronting. When he puts it on you, you're going to say, that was bold. Who just said that? You say, oh, that was me. The Lord just did that through me. How about that? You know, so, so I want to have this picture here of um, we want to flow with his spirit. And as we do that, I, I want us to begin to understand how has God wired you? Because primarily, he's going to work through how he wired you. 
you know, and, and so we can learn to use those moments to share our faith. So demystifying evangelism, let's realize there's more than one way uh, to, to share our faith. There's different people, different personalities, different backgrounds, different stories. And then uh, we often have a limited view of success. Uh, you see in your notes, 1 Corinthians 3, uh, Paul is talking about, you know, uh, he sowed Apollos water, uh, um, I'm sorry, Paul planted, Apollos watered, but it was God that caused it to grow. It's God that was causing it to grow. So we, we need to not view evangelism. When I was a new youth pastor and we would go on missions trips, I found out early on people would say, how many gave their hearts to the Lord? Like, like the, the success of the trip was how many people we maneuvered to pray a prayer. Now, getting folks to receive Christ as they're ready, giving them the opportunity is important, but I was getting wrong thinking in my head. Can you say amen? So, so I wasn't really concerned with where are they at. I just wanted to know if I could get them to pray a prayer. And then I could check them off and add them to the stats. I wasn't trying to be phony or anything like that. It was just, I, I needed to grow, you know. And, and then, you know, I came to understand, going back to Scripture here, there is an ongoing orchestration that God is unfolding. There's a sharing of the gospel. There's a planting. There's a watering. God is causing it to grow. And we just need to be faithful and available to do what God has called us to do. And then he's going to do the rest. Can you say Amen. So we just need to be faithful whether or not we see the results. So I want to encourage you, some of you that have found yourself, man, I'm in a dark place. It doesn't seem like it's doing anything. You are being a light and a testimony for the Lord. And, and if nothing else, folks will not be able to stand before Jesus and say, well, I never saw what a believer looked like. I never saw what the gospel was all about because you were there and you were the light. Can you say amen? So it's not worrying about what it looked like in that particular moment. All right, so different styles in the Word of God on how we can share our faith. There's the confrontational style. That was Peter on the day of Pentecost. You know, and the crowd had gathered and, you know, just got bold and he preached. You know, there was an altar call, 3,000 got saved that day. Uh, that, that's one way to do it. And again, when we're filled with the Spirit, that's going to flow out and uh, God will work through it and anoint it. Um, if you're not wired that way and God hasn't anointed it and it's not for that moment, we could be so confrontational that we kick somebody and drive them away, right? I, I, I know there's a, a brother in our church that's been very involved in uh, evangelism. Well, I, I don't have to like hide his name. Uh, Jeff Lawrence, if you've ever, ever been around Jeff uh, at, the, at the boardwalk, uh, I mean, he's, he's incredible with confrontational evangelism. And he'll just walk up to somebody. He, uh, he's walked up to people of like all different life scenarios and goes up to talk to them. And he's got this little, little track that he uses this optical illusion thing and then preaches Christ. And I don't know in any time that I've been with him, and I've been with him bunches of times, I've never seen anybody go, that guy was weird. You know, I, I can remember sometimes saying, I'm going to do what Jeff did. And then I'm doing the thing and people are going, what's this weird guy doing? 
you know? I'm serious, just being real honest with you. And I had to stop and say, Lord, how did you shape me? How, how can I be effective here and, and, and work that of my own shape? Can you say amen? When we went to Brazil, I, I mentioned this story recently. Uh, uh, Carol from our congregation here, she was, she's from Brazil. And, and we were literally in a red light district across the street from a brothel. Dark places, right? You know, and some of the just people coming home from work, there's bars, people, you know, so some scary looking dudes walking down this road. And, and I remember seeing Carol walk up to these two monstrous looking guys, step right in their face and just begin sharing, you need Jesus. You know, and I'm thinking, I tried that. If, if the anointing wasn't there for that, I'd be coming home without teeth. Right, right here, the shape, the shape of a fist, you know. And I'm looking over and I'm like, ooh, look at her. You know, I look back about two minutes later, these guys holding their hands with their heads bowed with tears coming down their face. Right, working in her shape, you know, walking it through, just so beautiful. I tell you what, the hell is afraid of spirit-filled grandmas. That's all I'm going to say. Amen. All right, we're running out of time. Second one is, is the intellectual approach. Uh, Paul did this. We see in Acts 17, it says he went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures. So, so in that moment, we have to have, we got to know the word. You know, we have to be prepared, you know, to dialogue about some things. We got to be prepared for that. But there are some folks that, that they want to deal in that arena. And maybe there's some of you, you're wired that way, and you're like, oh, yeah, that's right up my alley, and, and, and you know, I'd love to do that. Uh, Josh McDowell, he wrote More Than a Carpenter and Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Uh, we, we have C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity. C.S. Lewis, uh, I, I believe he was the first one who put out that, that argument. Somebody who wants to say Jesus is just a nice guy, sorry, can't say that. He was either a liar, a lunatic, or he is Lord. And you intellectually walk through, could a liar have done all these things? Could a lunatic have done all of these things? No way, no way. There's only one other conclusion. He's Lord, right? So that's, that's you know, looking at it intellectually. And we can't argue people into uh, heaven, but what we can do is help pull down arguments that keep people from being open to receive the gospel. Right, so that's the intellectual. Then there's the testimonial, sharing our testimony. And actually, worship team, if you don't mind uh, coming back up, we're going to wrap in just a second here. Uh, the, the guy who uh, Jesus healed, uh, the, the blind guy, right? He's, he's being questioned even by the religious leaders. And, uh, you know, what is this about this Jesus guy? Uh, you, you know, uh, we think he's a sinner. He couldn't have done this. And, and this guy's testimony, look, I don't know about any of that stuff. All I know is I was blind and now I see. You know, nobody can take away your testimony. You know, so just being prepared to share a testimony. How about relational evangelism? Uh, I, I think I might have shared this story recently. I think it might have been in another setting. Uh, there, there was a, a young lady who was doing an exchange program, uh, came overseas and she was staying with a Christian family. She came with them to church and she built a, a really dear friendship with the, the daughter. They were the same age. And right before she was going back home, she was from another worldview, another culture, another religious background. Uh, when the pastor gave a call for salvation, the young lady from the foreign exchange student came forward and invited Christ in her heart. 
And the pastor thought, well, you know what? Let me talk to her and find out, you know, what it was that I said so I can know how to be more effective in the future. And so he asked her, you know, what was it? You know, and she said, pastor, no offense. It wasn't anything you said. It was the friendship that was built in this godly household over this last several months. And there was a bridge that was built from this girl's heart to my heart, and Jesus walked over it today. Right, so relationship of, you know, uh, evangelizing through loving people. And, and again, uh, I've got all scripture here we can go back and look over. Invitational evangelism. Uh, these are invite cards for our Resurrection Sunday service. You know, we might say, uh, I don't know if I, I could communicate the gospel. I, I, I'm not, you know, an outgoing person, but I could invite somebody to church. So we're going to invite you at the end of service to grab a couple of these and, and be willing just to invite somebody, and then they'll come hear the gospel here, right? And then just the last couple, service evangelism, just serving others and through our serving. That's Samaritan's Purse. They put lives back together. Uh, they build homes in Jesus' name. They're coming and serving folks, and through that, through that service evangelism, so many folks are reached for Christ. And then the last one is lifestyle evangelism, just through the way we live, right? Again, uh, mentioned earlier, Matthew 5, 14 to 16, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. So church, we are called to be light. We are in a, uh, a, a pretty, I, I don't know how you feel about it, a pretty fun season right now. What, isn't it fun watching God move? I, it just blesses my heart when I see God moving, when I see people moving in hunger for the Lord. And God has called us to, to continue his mission, to continue his ministry out of your shape, out of the unique way that God has wired and built you. And church, the fields are white unto harvest. I mentioned those seven different ways just to get us thinking about all the different ways that we can shine Jesus to others around us. It could be a combination of those. It could be something that we didn't mention today. We just trust God. We're led by the Spirit, and we're just willing to step out.